the Apollo Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Cash Landing. I, as always, am your host, Ben, here with my esteemed, highly esteemed co-host, Aaron. Aaron, how are we doing today? Oh man, we're doing good. The, the sports are heating up even, I didn't even think they could heat up even more than they already had, but I mean, I look up and we have a Yankees-Rays elimination game. Jimmy Butler just going toe-to-toe with LeBron these last couple of games and deciding he's not going down without a fight. I mean, I know you haven't been as locked into the basketball playoffs as you usually are with the baseball playoffs happening at the same time, but man, have you had any chance to just see what Jimmy Butler's been doing trying to keep this t- Heat team alive? You know, I didn't actually, my brain didn't really process why I haven't been paying attention to the basketball finals until you just said that. I, like my, my subconscious didn't, didn't tell me that it was because baseball playoffs are on, but you're right. Usually I would be sitting down and watching every game of the basketball finals or, and, and basketball playoffs in general, but I'm really just not, no, I have not seen, I saw, I think one game of the finals. I've basically not seen Jimmy Butler do anything. Yeah, well, he basically brought him back from the dead. I mean, the Heat are banged up without Dragic, and the Lakers are clearly the better team. But I would recommend you watch Game 6, if possible, or at least check in with it on Sunday because Game 6 and then potentially Game 7 will probably be really good. But The the, the fact that it went to a Game 6 is surprising enough to me that I probably will actually tune in. I expected it to be done tonight. Yeah, no, I definitely thought the Lakers were going to win tonight. And man, it was just Jimmy Butler again, kind of willing them to a win. But we'll have plenty of time to talk about basketball in the future. We have a lot of baseball and a ton of football to talk about. But Ben, I feel like we've got to do it again. We got to start with your Astros. I mean, go ahead, victory lap again. You're back in the ALCS for the fourth year in a row. Kind of feels like the Golden State Warriors. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this time I actually will take the victory lap. Uh, this is. I mean, this is a legitimate accomplishment in a way that making it past the wild card round is might be a little fluky. You you can't really call it fluky anymore. Playoffs are fluky in in and of themselves, just nature of the beast. But as an Astros fan, I I kind of got to say you you got to give the Astros a little credit. I know most people don't like them. I f- I fully understand that. You certainly don't have to like them. But all of the takes that I was seeing for the last eleven months about how they were only good because of the trash can scheme and they were going to be horrible going forward. And they're going to be back to a hundred loss team is just, I mean, it was ridiculous to begin with and it is especially ridiculous. Now I just want to say that both Aaron and I were completely correct on the Astros. We, we called the series. I said specifically to put your mortgage on the money line for that Sean Manea game two that went well. Sean Manea lost game two, the Astros won three, one and the, and I was, you know, we both sort of said it, the season series was not going to be indicative of this playoff series because they were under wildly different circumstances and, and the Astros pulled it out. I do. I have to say it's rough for Oakland, right? Yeah, this is really rough, rough for Oakland, man. They, they probably chalked up all those losses in previous years to the cheating scandal. Then they finally said, this is our year. They went out and they dominated the division in the short regular season. They're the higher seed. They're the team expected to win. They're the favorite in Vegas. And then, Man, all they want to do is knock out their rivals from the AL West. And, I mean, they just go out in four games somewhat quietly. And now they just really got to wonder if it's ever going to happen against – I mean, it it will happen eventually because the Astros won't stay this way forever. But just all these years of never getting past this Astros core, they had to think this was the year. And, man, they they have to be completely devastated. I agree. 
Yeah, what one storyline I think is interesting. People talk a lot about the Astros impending free agents, and for good reason. It's their entire outfield, but Oakland is losing Marcus Simeon, Mark Canna, Robbie Grossman, Liam Hendricks, and Tommy Listella. And because it's Oakland, I sort of expect four out of five of those guys to be gone. They never spend money on the the guys after their arbitration years. So with all those guys gone, I mean, that's really not ideal for them. I still think they can be a solid team for a few years, but I would not be surprised if if they were third in the AL West next year with all those guys gone. Yeah, I could certainly see them taking a step back and then you know, you've got a team in that same division like the Mariners who do seem to be on an upward trend, even though it could still be a couple years away. I mean, they are Oakland. They'll probably make some savvy moves, and I agree. They'll We both think they'll be competitive going forward. But, yeah, I mean, this might have been their year to make a serious run. The starting pitching just never really came together, and then obviously the Matt Chapman injury was big. But, man, my biggest takeaway from the series is I kind of talked about it before the series started if there was any advantage for the A's, I really thought it was going to be the A's bullpen was just more proven and better top to bottom. And man, that is just not the case. The Astros bullpen, once again, uh, just defied all the odds. They proved that they're actually just legitimately great. And I think it's just been the story of the postseason. And I mean, Christian Javier turning into right-handed Josh Hader hasn't hurt. Yeah, it's it's it is ridiculous how effective Christian Javier in relief, especially like particularly, is he's he still hasn't given up a run in relief. He's he's pitched multiple playoff innings and now multiple regular season innings over over the year. He's just able to reach back and tap into that ninety five mile an hour the fastball that all the Astros people call the invisible because of its spin rate and deception and. I, I just have to say, you can look at guys like Javier, you can look at guys like Blake Taylor, Noli Paredes, Andre Scrub, all these guys who have 1.8 to 3 ERAs, but really bad peripherals. Their FIPs are bad, their 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 XERAs are bad, their XFIPs are bad, all the peripherals are bad, which is perfectly valid over a 162-game season, but they only need to win 12 more games. Or actually, that's not even true. They need to win 8 more games. So all you all you need to do is stop the regression to the mean for eight more games. And for bullpen numbers, that is that's certainly possible. I will say, now they've got the Rays. The Rays just beat the Yankees. I am terrified of the Rays as an Astros fan. It does help that they burned all their pitchers against the Yankees. What do you think of this Rays-Astros series coming up? Yeah, so I think the thing is, I still, I honestly don't think the Rays lineup still scares me that much. I don't think it's that much different than the Oakland lineup. I mean, obviously you've got Randy who's on fire right now, and then you've kind of got other guys just chipping in some big hits here and there, which is kind of what they do, I guess. But as far as what you're talking about is the Astros pitching staff just kind of having to stay hot just for eight more wins, I think the pitching staff specifically does match up pretty well with the Rays. I think they can keep them from scoring too many runs, but – Obviously, the difference is the Rays pitching staff is a clear step up from what they just faced in the Oakland pitching staff. So you can't expect the Astros to score as many runs. So obviously, it's not going to be in daytime Dodger Stadium anymore. So I definitely think we see a lower scoring series in general. But man, the Rays offense, I still think the Astros pitching can have some success. I'm leaning Astros. I'm leaning Astros right now in either six or seven, but just barely. And I think they have, it's obviously a more difficult matchup than it is than compared to Oakland, just because of the pitching staffs. 
Uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with the pitching staff point. The the Rays staff is is unbelievable, and the lineup is even. I I also agree that it's comparable to Oakland, if if a little worse. But we've seen hitters get hot at the at the right or wrong time, depending on your perspective. And and the offense that the Astros showed in this Oakland series was just unsustainable. I think that a large part of that can be attributed to daytime Dodger Stadium. The balls were just absolutely flying out of that ballpark. And just for the listeners. Who, who may not know, where are the Astros and Rays playing this series if it's not daytime Dodger Stadium? No, they're going to Petco, where the Rays just beat the Yankees, and obviously now it's a best four out of seven, but yeah, they're going to San Diego. Yeah, it's just, it's a completely different park, widely labeled a pitcher's park. I know that they've brought the fences in sort of over the years, but I think it certainly plays to the Rays' strengths. Uh, you're You're looking at you're looking at probably Framber Valdez versus Charlie Morton game one, if I had to guess, maybe Lance, and and then the Rays. The thing about the thing with the Rays is they just had used Glass now extensively. Snell pitched pretty recently. They're not going to be able to use either of those guys until game three. So the first two games, I think, maybe a little advantage Astros, but then the it's almost like the real series starts in game three. Which is, which is just a very weird thing, and it's going to be seven games, no days off. The Rays have the bullpen depth that the Astros don't. I don't feel great about it. I'm I'm still going to say Astros in seven, because I I, I can't force myself to do otherwise. But I think if I was completely impartial, I might actually say Rays in in seven. Yeah, I mean the Rays were clearly the better team throughout the regular season, but it was only a sixty game season, so you can't take too much away from it. Um. I will say Snell pitched game two and then Morton pitched game three. So, I mean, I think Snell is probably getting the ball game one, I would say. Yeah, for some reason I thought Snell came out of the bullpen, did he not, in, in one of the later games? Uh, I Unless he did tonight, which I didn't actually get to see all I of the I didn't see him tonight either. Yeah, no, I mean, he didn't in game four. So, okay, I think it's probably mind. Snell versus You're right. it is, Lance, it is I would guess. Snell versus Lance and then Morton versus Valdez. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Lance and Framer are going to be the key, as they kind of have been for this team. But yeah, I'm going to give a slight lean to the Astros. Obviously, this is a gambling-oriented podcast, so I'm curious to wait and see for when the series prices come out and see how the numbers actually shake up. But it'll probably be around I, a toss-up, I would guess. I expect the Astros to be slight underdogs, I would think, and I also expect myself to want to dump some money on them. Yeah, all right. Well, we'll look into that more, and we'll probably tweet it out um, more of our thoughts there on our Twitter, but man, how about the Braves and the Marlins? The Braves kind of had their way with the Marlins and they kind of made the Marlins look more like the Marlins than this crazy underdog story. Yeah. I, I just want to say you had a, you had a good feeling, good gut call on Ian Anderson. He, he looked great. The, the Marlins undefeated streak in the postseason has finally ended and it was due in large, in large part to his contributions. It was really weird watching those two teams play in Minute Maid. I've never, like, obviously, I've never seen anything like that before. It was just, it was just weird watching Dansby Swanson hit a home run to the train tracks. But, I mean, I, you know, sorry Marlins, it, it, it sucks to go out like that. But if you're a Marlins fan, you got to be so proud of this year and and excited for next year. The, they, they really sped up their their rebuild. Yeah, I mean, it's always really good to get in the playoffs a year before you're kind of expecting it or like maybe three years before you're expecting it just because 
now when the young core, like with an actual good solid team around them gets there, they have that playoff experience. And yeah, I mean, it could be a pretty short turnaround because obviously they've got Sandy, they've got Sixto. That's a good, you know, one, two pitching staff punch to build around. They've got Jazz Chisholm, you know, they've got guys to come up. So it is overall, obviously a huge success for the Marlins, but I definitely think we need to be talking about the Braves. They have the Dodgers now. We finally saw the Braves lineup start to heat up and kind of play to their potential. Um, The pitching is still hot. You know, it's been the Reds and it's been the Marlins, which obviously we're going to talk about it this. Now it's a completely different matchup versus the Dodgers. But yeah, I mean, you talked about my Ian Anderson call. I honestly, I think Ian Anderson is just really good. Like, I think he's just going to be like a borderline all-star for the next like 10 years. He just, he doesn't seem to have any holes in his game, you know, as a pitcher. So that's my take there. I don't know if I buy Kyle Wright as far as like the rest of this season, just because I saw too much in the regular season, how he can get pretty erratic. But I mean, I'm in on Ian Anderson and yeah, I mean, what do you think of the Braves in this series and then going up against the Dodgers um, in uh, Arlington? I obviously the Braves have have been fairly impressive. Actually, they weren't very impressive against the Reds, but they were certainly impressive against the Marlins. I don't think there's any way that they come out of Chavez. Well, actually, they're not going to be in Chavez Ravine. I don't think there's any way they come out of this series with the Dodgers with more than two wins. the The pitching is just such a mismatch. I agree that Ian Anderson is a good pitcher. But when you're throwing Walker Bueller against him, it, it looks a little different. The the Dodgers lineup is better, even when the when the Braves lineup is hot. The the Dodgers bullpen is better, even though the Braves line bullpen is probably the third best in the National League at this point. I just it it would take some serious slumping on the Dodgers standpoint and a, a seriously hot Braves lineup to get past, which is certainly possible. I mean it's baseball, anything can happen. But the the Dodgers have to be the odds on favorite here, and and I think that this is sort of a an easy Dodgers to the World Series route, which is not to take anything away from that absolutely loaded roster. I don't mean this is ever easy, but I don't think the Braves are even close roster wise. Yeah, I just I think you're asking a little too much out of that pitching staff. I mean, saying that they need to stay hot is one thing, but when you go from the Reds offense and the Marlins offense, and then now you're going up against this completely different monster of a Dodgers lineup that has A.J. Pollock hitting in the eight hole and, you know, Jock Peterson hitting ninth and stuff like that. I mean, I just don't think Freed Anderson Wright is enough. I think all three of those guys have obviously been good so far, but I just think this could turn into a little bit of a high-scoring series, and in that case, I just think the Dodgers bullpen's too good. I think Bueller's too good. It would... I think it would take an epic Kershaw choke or two, and I don't actually see that happening here. Uh, I mean, as much as I am going, I'm going to be pulling for the Braves. You know, I'm obviously going to be pulling for the Braves, as everyone knows, but I do think the Dodgers probably wrap up this series in five games, maybe six. Yeah, I I agree. And if if the Braves had Soroka, I think I'd be a lot more optimistic. It's really just a pitching issue where. A, a Mike Soroka to start game one, I think completely changes things for me where I'd, I'd be a lot more inclined to call it a toss up. But speaking of losing your starting pitchers, the, the Dodgers got there by sweeping a Padres team. And I'm seeing a lot of Fraudres talk that they're the San Diego Fraudres. 
but man, losing both of your best pitchers, I like you're you're probably gonna lose. And especially when I already thought that the Dodgers had the slight edge in, in the rosters. I gotta gotta credit the Padres for going all in and trying. The injuries happened at a really bad time. And they basically just succeeded in getting the Dodgers hot to go right into the CS, which is unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, I think the fraudulent talk, I think that's pretty ridiculous. I mean, if they have a healthy Clevenger and a healthy Lamed, this is an absolutely different series. Not to mention, they, they, did, they also did not have Kirby Yates, who was the best reliever in baseball last year. I mean, the Padres obviously made a statement this year that they are going to be a team to be reckoned with in the National League for many years to come. Tatis and Machado are just an amazing pair at the top of the order. The pitching staff is going to be amazing going forward. The one thing I will say about the Padres that could be concerning is just the drop-off that Chris Paddock had this year. I mean, he went from like, you know, this awesome rookie dominant pitcher to, you know, he was pretty shaky all regular season two. They were in a must-win elimination game three, and they choose to go with um, more John in a bullpen game over even giving Paddock a chance to start. I think that is the one concerning thing that needs to be talked about a little bit here. But I mean, as far as the rest of the team, no, I think the Padres are legit, but I am a little concerned about what I saw from Paddock this year. Yeah. Paddock specifically is definitely a a concern. Luckily for the Padres, they have Mackenzie Gore to come up soon anyways, in which case you could easily be seeing a, a rotation that doesn't even feature Chris Paddock if he's really that bad. But it is weird the 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 quick fall off that that Paddock had. He was just a completely different pitcher this year. I'm I'm sure he'll look to to tune stuff in the off season and and you must just be real upset watching the Dodgers and the Padres load up in in your Diamondbacks division because this would just must be heartbreaking for you. Yeah, dude, I don't see any way that the Diamondbacks are going to be able to really compete and push these teams for division titles these next couple of years, which is obviously just devastating, but. I mean, Mookie Betts looks like he's just destined to be a Diamondback killer. And then don't even get me started on just having to deal with Tatis for the next, you know, 12 years. Tatis I, and Lamette and Gore and probably Clevenger. I, I would imagine he'll extend. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's honestly just really devastating. I don't know what I'm going to do. I already have to deal with Patrick Mahomes against the Chargers in football. And now it's just... <laughs> The Dodgers and Padres are like the clear-cut two best National League teams going forward, and they're in the same division as the Diamondbacks, and they're going to play them like 40 games a year. And I'm just going to get really sad watching Lamette, Walker Bueller, and Mookie and Tatis just destroy the Diamondbacks the next couple of years. I, I don't want to think about it much. Yeah, it's unfortunate. And speaking of getting destroyed, I'm just going to take this as a nice segue. They didn't get destroyed. The Yankees and the Rays series. That was a great series. I, I thought that, that the Astros-Oakland series was really good just because of all the home runs. It, it really reminded me of the of the World Series that nobody wants to talk about. But the, the Yankees-Rays series was probably the most interesting postseason series from a managerial perspective and from, a, from the, the whole cliche thinking man's game perspective I've seen in a long time. We saw... The Yankees try to trick the Rays by throwing Davey Garcia out there as an opener and then bringing in J.A. Happ, which didn't work out very well because Mike Zanino took J.A. Happ deep. But we saw them try it. We saw the Rays use Tyler Glasnow on two days rest as a sort of pseudo opener and then go straight to Nick Anderson. I mean, 
this whole series was just insane. We saw Randy Orozarena become an absolute unstoppable force. This is it's just a strange series, and and now the Yankees lose a one run game in which they pitch a Roldis Chapman in the seventh inning. I mean, I don't even know what to make of all this. Yeah, I mean, I think what to make of it is you know we we knew it was going to be a great series, and it definitely delivered. I mean, just the biggest headlines are it's a it's another tough year for the Yankees. How many times is their season going to end on a Roldis Chapman just giving up a tank? Um, <laughs> yeah, so you hate to see that if you're a Yankees fan, but obviously Yankees fans are going to be really mad that they fell short of making the World Series again. But I mean, I really don't think they should be that upset. The Rays team was just there. The Rays were just as good as they are. And, you know, the Yankees went all in on Garrett Cole and Garrett Cole was, you know, he was awesome in this series, but they didn't have the true number two pitcher, you know, without Luis Severino, it's just not the same team. You can't go out and spend Garrett Cole money on two pitchers. And if, Severino's never going to be healthy, then the pitching staff just isn't going to be able to carry you through a series. You know, it's just going to be Garrett Cole. And then the offense just obviously has trouble against dominant right-handed pitching. But yeah, I mean, I think that's a headline. And then, you know, obviously Randy Arena, he went from, you know, a cute punchline on the Cash Landy podcast to one of the best players in baseball, you know, in a week. So that's pretty remarkable. Yeah, I'm so mad because... I was really enjoying our Randy Rosarena jokes where where I could act like a savant, but now the whole world knows him and he's he's just an incredible like he's he's one of those incredibly likable new stars too, so it's he's just gonna be he's just gonna be everywhere and, and now I can't make these jokes anymore. But Yeah, but we still get credit for being one of the first ones on the wagon, right? Like we still get to be sharp for that. We we should. We definitely should. I will say it, the Rays. It's like the Rays are built to beat the Yankees, and I think they they probably were. Uh, they're in the same division, and and they they had to do it. But if you're a Yankees fan, when you get Luis Severino back, you can at least hang your hat on the hopes of Garrett Cole, Luis Severino, Tanaka, James Paxton, because that is not at all what you had in this postseason. And if you did have that, you probably come away with a, a win in in with a series win in four games because you're the Yankees and you just need to find one more starting pitcher. You can probably do that, especially if your guy is on the injured list right now. Yeah. I mean, the Yankees are going to have to find a way to make a move because it's obvious they can't rely on Severino to be that guy at this point. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do in the off season. But as far as the rest of the playoffs are concerned, I mean, as weird as it may seem, you know, the best thing for baseball would be a Dodgers versus Astros rematch, you know, 100%. What are the likely, what's the likelihood you think we actually get the Astros Dodgers rematch? I I think the Dodgers will be there. It's just a, it's just a matter of if the Astros can, can squeak past the Rays again. It was close last year. I'm, I'm glad that they're not playing in, in Tropicana because the Astros could not win in that stadium. And most teams cannot win in that stadium other than the Rays. But I I'll, I'll give it 40%. I, I think it's, I think it's higher than any other scenario, but not by much. Yeah, I would agree. And that's what I'm rooting for, but yeah, I mean, we're going to have some shows going forward, you know, after some big baseball games, I'll, I'll go ahead and let you touch on that now and update the people on our, on our schedule that we think is going to be happening going forward. 
Yeah, so for those of you who, who listen and, and interact on the day that all of these series come out, you know that we record on Friday and Tuesday nights. We record for the for the Wednesday baseball DFS slate on Tuesday night. Unfortunately, there's not going to be any more playable baseball slates, so we're going to scrap the Tuesday night recording every week. That doesn't mean we're only going to have one episode a week. It just means that the other episode is now going to be a lot more flexible. We're basically going to do emergency podcasts whenever very interesting things in the sports world happen that we want to talk about or that we want to want to give a, a gambling perspective on. So especially when all of these series finish up and we, we get the World Series odds and everything else, we, we're definitely going to have to do an, an emergency pod then. If, if a team takes a, a 2-0 lead or, or something, we, we might do an emergency pod then. But the, the schedule is going to be a lot more flexible. The, the Saturday night recording – I'm sorry, the Friday night recordings going out on Saturday are not going anywhere. We're still going to do NFL DFS every week. But the other weekly pod – it may, you know, we may skip weeks. It's just going to be a lot more flexible and, and we're going to talk about stuff when there is stuff to talk about basically. Yeah. I mean, you hit it exactly. I'm looking forward to many emergency pods where we get to talk about all the great stuff that's happening, including maybe one of those will be just an absolutely epic Thursday night football game, which I would not say that the Thursday night football game we had this week was epic, but it was interesting because I mean, oh my God, Ben, the bears are four and one. How is, how is this happening? Yeah, what I don't know what the fuck is 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 going on with the Chicago. We talked earlier when you when you were mentioning the the Arizona Cardinals playoff odds about who who's who are these teams in the in the NFC in the NFC that are gonna overtake them. And I'm I'm starting to think the Bears are one of those names that we didn't mention. Yeah, I mean, all of a sudden the Bears are just like five wins away from a playoff spot. Um, so this was obviously a very bad win for my Cardinals bet but um it's it was an interesting game just because coming into this week the Buccaneers were number one in overall DVOA obviously it's still early in the year and you know there might be a couple holes in DVOA even though it is a pretty solid formula but I don't know I mean I still trust the Buccaneers obviously they need to have all their weapons healthy on offense or else the offense is going to look pedestrian against great defenses which the Bears do have a great defense but overall, I still trust the Buccaneers' defense. They still show me a lot of good things week in, week out. And I still obviously think the Bears are fraudulent. They're probably one of the worst 4-1 and teams of all time. But there is something to be said when you keep squeaking out wins. You know, if they're finding a way to do it, you have to give them credit going forward. But I don't know. What are your overall big-picture takes on the Bears and the Buccaneers going forward if you have them? Yeah, my my, my Buccaneers' take is mostly just that I don't trust the offense if somebody is hurt. It doesn't even matter who it is. If somebody is hurt, if Godwin is out or Evans is out or or one of the running backs is out, then I think I, I agree that, that it, it makes the offense pedestrian against, against good defenses especially. Uh, I really hope that Godwin is back next week because I'm, I'm very interested in these New England Buccaneers just as a, as a spectacle. I think that they're like fun to watch in a, in a – in a cerebral kind of way, the, the the coaching decisions are fun. Tom Brady being this game manager is sort of fun. They're not they're not the most you know fun athletic team to watch in the world, but but they're they're fun in in a different way. As far as the Bears go, I can't imagine they do anything other than squeak into the playoffs and and lose a wild card game or lose first first round. They they don't have a quarterback, and that just never works. 
Yeah, I would agree. You can only survive without a quarterback for so long. I mean, Allen Robinson is the entire offense, and they don't even have a quarterback that can consistently get him the ball. David Montgomery does look a little better this year, but, I mean, that's not that big of a deal. I do still like them. I think the Packers is a clear-cut team in the NFC right now, but there's obviously a lot of time for that to change. Um, With that, you have anything else to touch on? Oh, also, yeah, the Thursday night football game. Man, just the ending of the game, I need to talk about that just a little bit. Ben, if you asked me to take a lit to make a list of the QBs least likely to forget what down it is in a crucial two-minute drill, Tom Brady would be at the top of the list of the least likely quarterbacks to do that. I mean, what is going I mean, easily the craziest thing that has happened in 2020 is Tom Brady not knowing what down it is on a two-minute drill, right? No, that is not even close to the craziest thing that's happened, but it is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is nuts unfortunately this year has been even worse but i don't know maybe it's the bruce arians effect or something i, I just i i couldn't i couldn't explain it to you if 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 i if i had to it's just it's so weird and so uncharacteristic of a guy like tom brady who is 43 years old to forget what down it is because he spiked the ball earlier yeah i mean it must be all those veggies and like the crazy keto diet just starting to have some reverse effect on his memory because I mean, that would have just never, ever happened in the past. I don't know. I just sat there in shock on my couch when Tom Brady was just sitting there going, no, guys, it's all right. It's fourth down. It's like, no, Tom, you, you lost the game. It's over. Like, that was – I'm actually still shocked. I actually can't believe that happened. Yeah, I mean, that is nuts. But it, it does sound like that's probably all that we have for, for the Thursday night game. It was interesting. I know you and I – so Aaron and I played Ronald Jones in our co-on fantasy league, and he – he got exactly value and got outscored by uh, who's the kicker? Suckup. Yeah, Ryan Suckup went off, but you know you win some, you lose some. I'll take the Ronald yeah. Jones night. It's just man, Ryan Ryan Suckup with sixteen points is rough. Anyways, so we can <laughs> we can go ahead and go into the the NFL DFS slate for Week Five. Uh, COVID is impacting this slate pretty significantly we had two games postponed including bills titans and new england sorry who's new england playing i forgot already uh denver i think yeah uh bills titans and patriots broncos so unfortunately i can't take any of my buffalo bills which is probably just as well because josh allen is seventy five hundred dollars and i never know what to make of the titans defense so it kind of solves a problem for me anyways yeah, I mean, just that's going to be something to monitor going forward. We're obviously always going to break down these slates on Friday night. There's probably, you know, going to be one game that gets moved that we talk about almost every single week. So obviously you're just going to have to adjust on the fly. You can interact with us on Twitter again, ask us what we think about this game getting canceled, how it affects the ownership, how it affects what we think about guys like in those similar price tiers. But yeah, you're going to have to be aware of, you know, it is a possibility going forward that guys that we recommend their game might just get moved to like Tuesday, just because that is something that's going to happen this year. Yeah. And we'll try to be better about, you know, if a, if a game does get moved, we'll just go ahead and put our thoughts out there and then yeah, they're out there, out there if you need them more or less. But uh, with all that being said, we should just go ahead and dive right into it. We, we should start at the top as we always do at quarterback. I noticed that there's a pattern this week. All of the guys at the top are, they're finally high priced the way they should be. Deshaun is at sixty nine hundred, and everybody else that you would expect to be seven grand or more now is. There's not a whole lot of value here. Kyler Murray is finally up there. 
uh, I am almost definitely paying up for one of these five quarterbacks in cash. There is There are a couple cheaper guys I like as tournament options down below if you really need to save the money. But So of these top five guys, so Lamar, Mahomes, Deshaun, Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott, who do you think leads the entire slate in scoring? So just raw points, if I had to pick one quarterback, I would probably pick Dak Prescott. I don't think he's the safest just because I do think there is a chance. It's a Zeke week and Elliot, it's just one of those weeks where Elliot gets two or three touchdowns and that is a possibility that could happen. If I had to pick a number two, I'd probably pick Mahomes for the raw points, but I am, I still think that Dak is going to be the overall highest scoring guy on the slate. And I like him for tournaments and for cash and, I just I think this game is a shootout, and I don't think it's going to be much different from any of the other Dallas games that we've seen so far this year. So I'm going to go back to the well on deck. What do you think of these top five guys? I think we have wildly differing opinions, not because I think Dak's going to have a bad week by any means. I don't think he'll have a bad week, but I think one of these five is just going to absolutely go off in a way that Dak will not be allowed to because I think I, – I mean, you mentioned it. I think it will be a Zeke week. And I think that Dak's ceiling is limited for that reason. His ceiling is still probably 30 fantasy points. But I think that Deshaun and Mahomes specifically have more like 40 fantasy point ceilings this week. Uh, yeah, I saw you wrote it down here. The Raiders are 30th in defensive DVOA and the Jags are 32nd. So Mahomes and Deshaun could not have better matchups. Mahomes especially. My only, my only issue with Mahomes is that I don't know how well the Raiders are going to be able to score. They have looked pretty decent this year. I don't think it'll be an absolute blowout, but there's more of a chance it could be than this Texans-Jags game. So Mahomes and Deshaun are my two guys. If you, if you made me choose one with no pricing, I would take Mahomes every time, but you do have to factor in that Deshaun is $700 cheaper. Yeah, I know. I mean, I absolutely love Deshaun this week, and he might actually be the playing cash just because he is the cheapest out of all these guys. But yeah, I mean, I'm locking and loading Deshaun, no doubt about it. But it is kind of funny how we're seeing things just slightly different where I think it's actually it's going to be Clyde week and Mahomes might not have to do as much. So I think I'm actually leaning more towards Dak and Clyde and you're leaning more towards Mahomes and Zeke. So that's just kind of funny how, like, obviously all four are, like, super elite plays, but we're just kind of flipping who we think is going to be the producer on each offense. Yeah, I mean, that is funny. So uh, what what's most notable is that neither one of us are saying to pay up for Kyler, and neither one of us are saying to pay up for, for Lamar. And I, I think I kind of stand by that. Not that they're horrible plays. I just think that the three guys that we named especially all have either higher ceilings or higher floors, depending on on which one. Yeah, I'm not playing Lamar this week. I don't think he should be the highest price one. He just hasn't shown the ceiling yet this year, even though we do know the ceiling is there. He hasn't shown it yet. And I just think the Cincinnati versus Baltimore game is going to be low scoring in general. Baltimore is going to have a lead, so they're going to be able to just run the clock out, run the ball. So, yeah, if I'm paying up, it's for Mahomes and it's not for Lamar. Oh, just you wait until we get to our bet section because you'll find that I agree with you on that Cincinnati uh, Baltimore game. Yep. But anyways, so we, we talked about the, the big QBs. We can go ahead and go down to the value plays. Let's say you don't want to pay up for QB or you can't pay up for QB because you, you have your perfect lineup and you, you left QB out of it, which I don't think I've ever done before, but I'm sure some people do. 
my my I think my go-to value play for this week is probably Gardner Minshew. I just have a feeling this game is going to be a shootout between the Jags and the Texans. Texans defense is still bad. Please count how many times I say that this pod. It's going to be a lot. Texans defense is really bad, despite the departure of of Mr. Butt Chin himself. Uh, I kind of, I mean, 45, I'm sorry, 54.5 point total is what's on the board. It's the third highest for the week. The Jags have DJ Chark back. So Minshew has all his weapons. So the more I think about it, the more I like it. DJ Chark caught two touchdowns last year. He, he provides a red zone threat that they, last year, last week. He caught two touchdowns last time he played. So I just, I think with the new red zone weapon, especially, I think that the, that Gardner Minshew finds the end zone a couple times. And at 6,200, that's, it's pretty good value. Yeah, no, I could not agree with you more on the Gardner Minshew call. I absolutely love him this week. I think 6,200 is a very fair price. Um, I mean, you know how bad the Texans defense is, but I think just the public in general still is overrating the Texans team as a whole a little bit. And the defense, especially, I mean, the defense is horrible. They are 27th in DVOA on defense. Like that is nothing compared to the usual Texans defense, which is usually middle of the pack at worst. The secondary is bad. We know that the Jaguars have no problem just airing it out in a high scoring game, which we do think both teams can put up points here. So yeah, $6,200 is super fair for Gardner Minshew, and I do like him. And if you're going to do it, definitely pair him with DJ Chark, who we both love this week. Yeah, I mean, DJ Chark is a stud. Uh, I- I'm going to move on to, to my next guy, which is Matt Ryan at 6,100. I think this is a nice contrarian play for this week. They're not going to have Julio Jones, but despite that, it's still the Atlanta Falcons. They're going to air the ball out. The Panthers' secondary has nothing in it, really. I, I don't love it as much as I-, I thought I did when I first saw it. You know, I saw Matt Ryan against the Panthers, and I was like, yeah, of course, but without Julio, it's not terrific. But nice tournament play, Falcon stack. Definitely nobody's going to expect the Falcon stack this week. And Ryan is he's, – he's priced way down after two bad weeks. I mean, two weeks ago, he would have been he would have been a lot closer to, to the low 7,000 than 6,100. Yeah, Matt Ryan is always a threat to go off. Um, I do like what Matt Rule has done to this defense. They're playing a lot more competitive football. They're having a lot less breakdowns in the secondary, especially for a young defense. Um, I'm definitely Matt Ryan only in tournaments. I'm probably actually not going to do it this week. I'm more inclined to play the guy who you were about to talk about in the same game. But yeah, Matt Ryan's always sneaky, but I think it's probably a pass for me, even though I don't hate the play just because this game could easily turn into a shootout. Oh, go for it. Sell me on, on Teddy Bridge H2O then at, at 5,900. Well, Ben, uh, here's my pitch. I worked really hard on it. I grinded a lot of numbers. Teddy Bridgewater this week is playing against the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, that's a good pitch. <laughs> it's a pretty solid pitch, right? There's no holes in that one. <laughs> I can't find one, no. No, the, uh, I mean, the other thing is the Panthers offense has like real weapons. Probably that's that. The weaponry that Teddy Bridgewater has around him is is as good as almost any team in the league between DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Curtis Samuel, and, and Mike Davis when Christian McCaffrey isn't in there. But I will say Mike Davis has been used as a pass catcher more than a runner. They're just not running the ball all that much at all. I mean, they're using Red Bonifan occasionally as a as the between the tackles guy, but they're they're just airing the ball out. So I agree with you. Teddy Bridgewater, 5,900. I, I also think I like him a little more than Matt Ryan this week. Yeah, I think Bridgewater probably will get some ownership here, which is not a problem just because I do think he's a great play. Most of the ownership will go to the five quarterbacks we talked about at the top, so he will still be sneaky. 
You can obviously stack him with either Robbie Anderson or DJ Moore, which we will have that debate later. But Teddy Bridgewater is obviously a great play. Uh, he started to feel himself a little bit last week. We saw him get that 20-yard scramble. I know you like that, Ben. <laughs> I I was so shocked. <laughs> I, I can't even I – like, I, I watched the play, and I was like, no way. It, he didn't just do that. But, yeah, I mean, just just a great play. Yeah, two gloves himself. Uh, we don't expect the, the rushing upside to be there that often. But, yeah, he's a great play. They should have no problem moving the ball here, obviously. But my pivot – off of what could be a chalky Teddy Bridgewater. Ben, I don't expect you to agree with me on this one. I, I'm not. I will not agree with you, no. All right. Well, you said the same thing about Ryan Fitzpatrick last week, who came through for me. I am definitely recommending, and I'm really not even that shy about it, I am playing Danny Dimes this week at $5,400. He's going up against the Cowboys defense. We know the Cowboys defense has been downright horrible this year. Um. The Giants, their offensive line is not great, but the Dallas defensive line isn't great either. So I do think Danny Dimes will finally have time to throw here. Look, Daniel Jones has had an absolute gauntlet of a schedule this year. He's gone up against the Rams, the 49ers, the Steelers. I mean, it's actually been ridiculous, the schedule they've had to play this year. He's also gone up against the Bears. He finally will have some time to breathe. He finally will not be going up against an elite defense. I still believe in the Giants offense as a whole when they are playing a bad defense, which they are this week. I still believe in that passing game. I like Darius Slayton. I like Evan Ingram and I like Golden Tate. I think they're going to be playing from behind. I think this game is a shootout in general. It's in a dome. You don't have to worry about the weather. And Ben, if all of that wasn't enough, can I interest you in a Jason Garrett revenge game? (laughs) You know, you're, all of these are, are great, valid points, and I, it, you know, you, you sold me a little bit. My only problem is that I also believe in, in the Giants' offense against bad teams when they have Saquon Barkley, because without Saquon, there's not even the threat of the run, and Dallas can play soft if they want. They can, they can rush Danny as many times as they want. There's, the play action is just not going to be as crisp. It's just not the same when it's Devontae Freeman back there instead of Saquon Barkley. I don't, I don't hate it as much as I probably made it seem like when you when you first went into the, the thing. I, I I think it's just as likely that Daniel Jones throws three touchdowns here as or throws for two and runs for one as as Ryan Fitzpatrick last week. But there's just Teddy Bridgewater's floor is so much higher for five hundred dollars more that I just like the other options so much more. Yeah, I mean, I think Bridgewater is actually playable in cash where Daniel Dimes, you know, he is strictly tournament. But if you're if you're making multiple tournament lineups, I know I personally will have uh, Danny Dimes in a tournament lineup or two. And I think you should if you're making multiple. But yeah, I mean, that's my pitch. I usually like to mix in one cheap QB. And if you can give me a $5,400 QB who I think is talented going up against Dallas in the Dome, I'm going to take a shot just because that's how I like to play. I, I, and, I, and I will say, I think that this game tells us a lot about the New York Giants, the, at least the way their offense functions in this game. Yeah, and just how we can view them going forward, yeah. Ex- exactly, because, I mean, you mentioned it. The, the gauntlet of the first four games was just ridiculous, so maybe it is a little bit of me looking at Steelers and Bears and and, and Rams, Rams and Niners, and, yeah. Yeah, and, and Niners and, and 
just all these elite defense. Maybe I'm looking at that and going, oh, well, obviously Saquon Barkley is so important that they can't function without him. And that's not the case. It's just that they face four elite defenses. But I don't think there's any way to know that until after this week, at least. Yeah, so, and I, my point I, to I'm that would be, away. my point to that would be, you know, let's try to play him now at low ownership while everyone is still kind of in wait and see it mode. I'm just going to try to jump the gun and be one week ahead and just try to win all the money while, you know, hopefully they're at really low ownership and the best matchup they're going to have all year. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have them at, at 1.5%. That's that's not a that's not a debate, but it's it's just if it's it's just if if Danny Dimes is actually going to prevent you from winning the tournament or make you win the tournament. Yeah, no, I mean, he he easily could prevent it, and I understand why you are very sketched out by it. Um so, you know, I obviously understand why you're worried about it, but are you ready to move on to running back? Because I think I am. Yeah, and I'm I'm just going to start it off with Ezekiel Elliott at 7,800 because I said I thought it was going to be a Zeke week. Um, I I stand by that. I, there's a lot of running back options on this slate. There's there's not too many budget options, and I still really like the idea of paying up for Zeke. Part of why I'm staying away, I'm shying away from Dak is just I, I think it's a Zeke day. I think the Cowboys pound the rock and capitalize on some on some Giants turnovers especially i think they get some turnovers in the red zone and just give it to zeke uh i really like him in cash and turnies if, if, if you can find the money at all I, it's just he's he's the top running back on the slate for a reason 7800 is expensive but he should have 100 scrimmage yards and and a lot of touchdown upside yeah i have absolutely no issue paying up for zeke this week he's probably he's a really good cash game play obviously I will say just from like an eye test football watching every week, you know, watching year in, year out kind of perspective, I do think um, not having the big crowd and like just having the juice of the stadium has probably affected Zeke more than anyone else in the league because we know Zeke, you know, he likes to have those big first down runs and then just eat the fake soup while the crowd goes crazy. And I do think just eye test wise, Zeke is, has been a little lethargic this year. He also had COVID, so we don't know what impact that has had on him. But just eye test-wise, Zeke hasn't had the same bounce this year. But with that being said, I think a matchup versus the Giants defense can cure all of those things I just talked about. So I do like Zeke this week. Yeah, if it was Tony Pollard at seven grand, I think I'd still be I think I'd still be in. But well, maybe that's an exaggeration, but you know what I mean. Yeah, maybe one day it will be. Wouldn't that be nice? Um <laughs> I'm going to go. It would be nice for our fantasy team. Yeah, it would be nice. Uh, My next guy here who I already mentioned is going to be three named Clyde. Those three names are Clyde Edwards and Alaire. I think he finally gets his first matchup in a while. That's kind of a really nice matchup. It's his first really nice matchup since week one. And since that week one matchup versus the Texans, he has been worked a lot more into the passing game and he's just been getting more snaps in general. I think this is the week where it all comes together for Clyde. I think the Chiefs jump out to a big lead here. The Raiders have been horrible against the run this year. I think the Chiefs get off to a big lead, and they're able to pound the rock. They set up the play-action game where maybe they can get some big plays, and then just even more, they're going to be able to pound Clyde. I think he gets a couple screen passes where he can bust for some big plays. I'm I'm going to put my foot down here. I'm probably rolling out Clyde in cash and in tournaments. 170 yards, two touchdowns. Ben, I can already see you posting the clip. This is Clyde week. I'm going all in, and he's my favorite running back this week. 
You know, it's funny is I was I was also envisioning me clipping that and then and then posting it. So maybe it is meant to be. I will say I like the next two guys a little more than three named Clyde. They're all around the same pricing. James Robinson is sixty seven hundred dollars. Casual football fans may be saying, who in the world is James Robinson? He is an undrafted running back for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I'm telling you to play him at at sixty seven hundred dollars. I'm telling you that because the Houston Texans are dead last in rushing yards allowed per game. They allow 181 rushing yards per game. I didn't stutter. I didn't misspeak. That's 181 rushing yards on the ground, not in the air. So I would say James Robinson is pretty much a lock to eclipse 100 yards and find the end zone. He also catches passes. So I'm I'm looking at 130 scrimmage yards and a touchdown, hopefully. And at 6,700, that's that's really all you can ask for. Yeah, I mean, he's clearly the workhorse back. He's he's also just really good. He's passing all the eye tests. He looks great. You mentioned his usage in the passing game. He's going to be the guy pounding the run against this weak Texans run defense. So, yeah, I mean, I really like the idea of putting Clyde and Robinson maybe in a cash lineup if you're not playing Zeke. You can fit both of that, both of those two guys in there and then kind of make the rest work, which I think that's a good play this week in cash, but – yeah, I have absolutely no arguments against James Robinson. I'm in with you this week on James Robinson. Yeah, and then another guy sort of in a similar vein now this week is going to be Kareem Hunt at 6,500. I think that this is going to be the cheapest that Kareem Hunt is going to be for the next six weeks because this is the way that the DraftKings algorithm works. Uh, he's just a clear feature back now with, with Nick Chubb out, and we remember how good he was as the feature back with the Chiefs. He's he's going to get a minimum of 15 carries. He's going to catch a lot of passes. I know that the Colts have a good run defense, but the Browns have just established the run and absolutely hammered the ball down, down people's throats all year. This is now a, a Kevin Stefanski run scheme, which we know works. And Kareem Hunt just seems like he's going to get value. I think this is a great cash option as well if you can't afford Zeke. I think that if Zeke is out of range and – any of these three are, or two out of these three, I think that that is a great way to just start your cash lineup. Slot in two of Clyde Robinson Hunt and just, you know, let it let it roll. Yeah, um, I will push back a little bit here. Um, Kareem Hunt had a groin injury going into last week. Then he also, you know, his usage in that game was lower because that groin injury was clearly bothering him a little bit. He is expected to play here, obviously. He'll probably be healthier this week than he was last week, but groin injuries can be a little scary as far as in-game injuries. Um, the matchup versus the Colts is definitely not ideal, but Kareem Hunt can be kind of matchup-proof because even if the Browns do fall behind, that's going to lead to a lot of Kareem Hunt dump-offs and you know, DraftKings is full PPR, so you're going to get some points out of that. I don't think you have to play him in cash whatsoever. I actually like Mike Davis, who we're about to talk about more than Kareem Hunt this week just because of the matchup. But I do th- I do believe there is a solid floor for Kareem Hunt, but I actually can't say I love it this week. I would probably either spend up for the two guys we just talked about or spend down for Mike Davis, who uh, we're about to talk about right here. I love when we disagree. Go ahead and take Mike Davis. Yeah, so Mike Davis is going up against the Falcons this week. He's very involved in the passing game. Christian McCaffrey is out yet again, obviously. I thought um, you were just going to stop right at he's going up against the Falcons this week. <laughs> I could have, but, you know, you had some good stuff here I wanted to read off. 
I like Mike Davis. He obviously looks like a great running back. I like the way this Panthers offense just looks in general. And yeah, I mean, there's not much more to say. Ben, if you know, you say you like when we disagree, do you do you like it enough to do a Mike Davis versus Kareem Hunt gentleman's bet this week? No, actually, because I, I believe in Mike in Mike Davis as well. I'm not <laughs> I I I'm not like I like Kareem Hunt, but I like Mike Davis. Yeah, no, probably, I understand. Probably just as much. This is also a good time to mention that um, you did win the gentleman's bet from last week's podcast. It was a close one. Um, between the combined points, you only won it by like five DraftKings points. But you oh, are man, now. I, to... I honestly totally forgot to even check. Wow, that's nuts. Yeah, you barely got me. But uh, yeah, Joey Wendell came through for you with thirteen. But yeah, you're up two one in gentleman's bets. But. I don't know. Maybe we'll find something here organically as we go through the pod. <laughs> we gotta, we gotta call me the the Wendell Whisperer instead. Nobody knows Joey Wendell still, and I'm I'm on it. You are on it. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, next, uh, I like Josh Jacobs at 6,300. I'm going back to it. I know I look like an idiot because I said Josh Jacobs last week against the Bills too, and I even almost convinced you. Um, I'm I'm going I'm going right back to the well. It didn't work out last time. That means that means it has to work out this time, right? Uh. The Chiefs' run defense is fine. It's not fantastic. But Josh Jacobs is just too good to keep getting bottled up week after week like this. Eventually, I think that Las Vegas is just going to find a way to hop on his back the way that they did in week one. And I think that this is as good a week as any for them to do that. He's also probably going to be low-owned after a few disappointing weeks in a row. I definitely like him as a as a tournament as a tournament option. I'm not playing Jacobs in cash, I don't think. Not after last week. Yeah, as weird as it is, you know, you don't picture a guy like Josh Jacobs to be kind of boom or bust. You think he's just a solid running back that's going to put up, you know, a fair amount of yards every single week and fall into the end zone pretty often. But it actually is working out to where just the matchups he's had so far this week and the matchup he has this week. I actually think he's either going to put up like 30 points or he's going to put up 10, making him a really good tournament play and just a guy I'm shying away from in cash. So I actually view him really similar to you this week. I'm probably just slightly lower on him in tournaments just because I think if they fall way behind, they are going to be passing more to Darren Waller than they are to Josh Jacobs. But, you know, it's not a great run defense, so I do think there's a chance he falls in the end zone a couple times here. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. And and with that said, I think I think we have to talk about the 49ers running backs this week. Raheem Mostert. 6,100, Jarek McKinnon, 5,800. Mostert is going to be a game-time decision. To me, it sounds like he's trending, like he's going to play. Um, I'm just letting you know I'm playing no 49ers running backs if Mostert does play because I'm I'm willing to bet that all he does is vulture some touches as he as he works his way back into full game speed. I think it's going to be a serious three-headed committee if, if Mostert is back in. And if he doesn't play, I'm going to go all in on Jarek McKinnon at 5,800 because he's going to catch at least five passes, get at least 10 carries, and he's just so explosive in that Shanahan offense against the Miami Dolphins that I don't think there's any way he doesn't get – I said it last time. He was going to get 100 scrimmage yards and score a touchdown, and that's basically what he did. So, Yeah, I mean, this is just vintage Aaron and Ben Spider-Man gif because I could not agree more with you here. I'm glad you listened to just like this because I wanted to have this exact same conversation I really am crossing my fingers that Mostert some reason gets ruled out here because if so, I'm also going all in on Jarek McKinnon in tournaments and probably in cash. He's going to go overlooked just because there are some really good options at the top. And, you know, it's just a matchup versus the Dolphins, which we know is a great matchup. 
McKinnon has been very involved in the passing game. I hope Mostert's out because I am right there with you. I'm going all in on McKinnon if that's the case, but he'll probably play and we'll just have to fade it and wait for another week. Yeah. I, I'm I'm going to be so mad when, when Mostert plays and I have Mostert in like multiple ESPN leagues and I don't know. I might play him in the ESPN leagues. I'm not going to play him in, in DFS though. And with that being said, somebody who I really don't know what to do with, I mean, Mostert, I sort of don't know what to do with, but Kenyon Drake is $5,700. I just, I don't know what's been going on with Kenyon Drake, but if the Arizona Cardinals cannot run on the New York Jets, I will absolutely concede that Kenyon Drake is a lost cause this year. Just accept that the Cardinals are going to have to throw the ball 45 times a game and that the emergence of Kyler Murray means that he has vampire sucked all of Kenyon Drake's talent away from him because this is one of the best matchups he's going to get all year. He's still getting good carries. He had 13 or 14 last game, even though they were not moving the ball at all with him. And it's just, if he can't do it this week, I'm definitely out on him for the rest of the year. I might be willing to give him a tournament flyer this week just because of the matchup is so good. I don't know. It's hard to even convince myself to take Kenyon Drake and I'm the one who wrote this stuff down. Yeah. You, you're, you're convincing yourself less the more you talk about it. Um, <laughs> I think I'm honestly just out on Kenyon Drake. He just hasn't looked great. This running offense as a whole has not looked great at all. Um, Just the only run offense they've had is Kyler Murray scrambling and doing just random Kyler Murray things. But yeah, I think, you know, you, it's kind of the similar argument I made for Daniel Jones is people are going to want to wait and see it. And then they're going to play Kenyon Drake. So let's play Kenyon Drake now and win all the money this week before everyone else gets on the train. But I just don't think I can get on the train. I think I'm definitely one of those people who just is going to have to wait and see it. I just, I'm out on Kenyon Drake right now. I would almost rather just take a shot on Chase Edmonds getting like a 60 yard screen pass touchdown at this point. Oh man, you were really out then. Yeah, that that's nuts. Uh, we're getting to the bottom of the barrel here a little bit. I think that David Johnson at 5,200 is the last playable running back. I think if you have this amount, this 5,200 to fill out your running back slot, I definitely have no problem with David Johnson. He he can and probably will easily get you 15 points. So in cash, he's fine. He'll probably get you to the cash line. I still think, and I'm, I may be alone in this, I just think he still has that opportunity to blow up any given week because he's so talented and just get 35 points and catch a bunch of passes. And Jacksonville is certainly a candidate for that. So I'm, 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 I like him in cash. I don't love him in tournaments, but I definitely like him in cash for the floor. And I still think the ceiling is there, but I understand if, if I'm sort of alone in that. Yeah. I mean, do you really just think that the talent is still there? I mean, obviously David Johnson was, you know, super talented early in his career, but I just think he's kind of a different player now where I just don't see the upside just because I don't think he's that explosive. Like, can he fall into the end zone twice in this great matchup? Absolutely. I agree with you. I like him in cash if, you know, maybe you have $5,200 left for your last running back spot in a perfect cash lineup, then, you know, by all means do it. But I would push back a little bit on the tournament upside just because I don't think he is that talented David Johnson that we saw. I think he's just a different player at this point in his career. Yeah, I don't know if I I don't know if I buy into that yet. I, I need to see a little more. I don't know how much of it is coaching. I don't know how much of that coaching is going to improve either. I mean, I talk about the loss of Bill O'Brien like it's a net positive, but Bill O'Brien had all the reason in the world to force the ball into David Johnson's hand or hands for the entire game. 
and Tim Kelly sort of has less of a reason to do that. But I don't know. He he the eye test for me is still pretty good. He looks nice and explosive. It's just that the team is playing so poorly. It's hard for a running back to put up the points that that they could. But I don't know. I'm I'm sure by week six I'll have a I'll have a more concrete idea of this because the Texans also, you know, their first three weeks were a horrible gauntlet and especially a horrible gauntlet for running backs. And then they didn't show up against the Vikings the way that they wanted to, but I'm not ready to write it off just yet. Yeah. I think it's definitely a fair point. I think David Johnson is going to be, you know, one of the main players I have my eye on this week uh, as far as looking forward to the future and what I'm going to think about these guys. But with that, I'm ready to go on to wide receiver. If you are. Absolutely. Go ahead and take it. All right. I'll take it at the top here. Uh, my favorite high price wide receiver is going to be Amari Cooper. I mentioned it. I am leaning towards yet another DAC week as far as this Cowboys offense goes. And, you know, look, if the Cowboys offense is going to be throwing the ball like they have been, Amari Cooper is the guy you need to be playing. He's gotten 16 and 12 targets in the last two weeks. I am back in on this passing game this week. Look, Amari is due for some Jerry World touchdowns. He's been getting there points-wise with only one touchdown so far this year. We know he's a guy that his touchdowns usually come in spurts. You know, he will have these two or three touchdown games. And I think that could definitely be the case this week. So if I'm paying up a wide receiver, I'm going to pay up for Amari Cooper and stack him with Dak Prescott if possible. Yeah, I, I don't hate it. Again, I just I think it's a Zeke week, so I'm going to stay away. My 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 top guy, not my favorite play, but my highest price guy that I am even thinking about taking is going to be Tyree Kill at 6,900. I got no fancy analysis here. I just think he's too cheap. Uh, I think both he and Travis Kelsey can eat in this matchup. I know you think it's a Clyde week, so we're we're just going to disagree about this. Uh, I'm not too worried about him getting vultured by Kelsey. I'm a little worried about him getting vultured by Clyde, definitely, but it's Tyree Kill at 6,900 and and that pricing for the two touchdown 150 yard upside is, is always worth it, especially in tournaments. I think this is more of a tournament play than a cash play. Man, so far this year, it's been Clyde or it's been Tyreek vulturing the Clyde touchdowns. I mean, they've been getting Tyreek on these jet sweeps from the two all year long. So, yeah, I mean, I think he's been the vulture so far. But I mean, just because I think it's a Clyde week doesn't mean, you know, I might not roll out a, a tournament stack of, you know, the Chiefs passing attack. And if so, I definitely am in on Tyreek Kill. But I probably like the next guy, which you have listed here, who I definitely agree with. And that's going to be Will Fuller in just an absolute dream matchup against the Jaguars defense, which is still dead last in DVOA. Um, look, Will Fuller is a touchdown machine. He is still healthy as of this moment in time, we think. <laughs> the disclaimer. <laughs> the usual Will Fuller disclaimer is still in play. But look, he is a great stack again with Deshaun Watson and he is just a fantastic tournament play. I don't hate him in cash. He's more expensive this week, but he's more expensive for a reason. And that 50-burger, that 40-burger, it is still out there, and this this could be maybe the prime week for it, Ben. Yeah, so I was listening to Fantasy Football sat, sat, uh, Satellite Radio while I was going out to get my, my Panda Express for lunch. Always a great and, choice. And they were talking about how Will Fuller is a lock for at least 100 yards and a touchdown, so... I'm going to expect some chalk on this one if everybody and their grandmother is recommending Will Fuller this week, but I'm still going to recommend him, and I'm probably even going to recommend a stack of this specific game in a tournament of the Texans-Jaguars game if you wanted to run out Deshaun Fuller or Minshew Fuller, David Johnson, and this next guy we're about to talk about who is DJ Chark at 6,500. 
I mean, this is the other head of the stack right here. DJ Chark is an elite wide receiver. The dude is a, another touchdown monster. Fuller and Chark should both have touchdowns this week. And I'm going to say it again. I told you to count me. The Texans' defense is very, very bad. Yep, so, that's three. Yeah. <laughs> the Both of these wideouts are just dream matchups, and they're pretty mid, mid-tier priced. So if, if I'm, I'm, when I'm starting my cash lineup, I'm probably starting it with both of them. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely love uh, the idea of pairing Fuller with Chark this week. I mean, you don't have to. I think they're both great plays individually. There's obviously a lot of, you know, correlation plays you can go with. But, man, just DJ Chark individually, this is a great play this week. People are not realizing how bad the Texans' defense is. It is absolutely terrible. DJ Chark is a machine, especially in bad matchups. If they double-team him, I don't really care because they're double-teaming him with two bad players. And this probably is going to be a shootout. Minshew loves to get him the ball. You know, he's Minshew's favorite guy for a reason. So, yeah, DJ Chark is 6,500. Find the money, you know, find a way to get him in there. And if you can pair him with Will Fuller, there is a chance they both just completely go nuclear and are just having kind of a one-on-one game out there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I really like going nuclear. That's just a, it's a great turn of phrase. But the, the next guy I want to talk about is is DJ Moore at, at 6K. So this is where I think Aaron and I may have another disagreement. I think that DJ Moore is still easily the more talented of this very, I, actually, this is not what we're going to disagree about, I'm sure. DJ Moore is the more talented of this very good wide receiver duo with Robbie Anderson. Robbie Anderson is only $100 less than him, by the way, at 5900 DJ Moore is now coming off two bad weeks in a row. I just can't see a world in which this Atlanta Falcons defense contains him. So I expect 100 yards from DJ Moore. He's always had trouble getting into the end zone last week. We expected positive touchdown regression. Hasn't happened so far because Robbie Anderson is snaking all of his production. But DJ Moore has to end this year with 1,000 receiving yards. This is a game in which I think you look at the stat line at the end of the year and you see oh, DJ Moore had 150 yards that went toward his his 1,000 receiving yard total for the year. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you're all in on it because I need someone to just give DJ Moore some love because, man, this guy has made me really sad so far this year. Uh, my whole fantasy football thing, I kind of have this deal where I pick kind of two or three obscure guys that I think are just kind of being slept on and I go all in on those guys. And I'm not going to lie, it usually really works out for me. But last year was Chris. Last year was Chris Godwin. Yeah, it, it was Chris Godwin and Dalvin Cook were my two guys last year. Yeah, and they were both amazing. And you know, before that, I've been all in on guys like Kareem Hunt his rookie year. You know, James Conner the James Conner year. Even going back to Doug Martin, I was all in on Doug Martin the Doug Martin year. But one of my guys this year that I was all in on, I took him in every single draft I did. That was DJ Moore. He's let me down. And the main reason he has let me down is because I slept on Robbie Anderson. I thought he wouldn't be healthy. I thought he would not take this many targets away, but he has. And I think it's come to the point where Robbie Anderson is the safer play just because he seems to have the better connection with Teddy Bridgewater than DJ Moore does. So here's where I'm at this week. I I have in one league, I have Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore on the same team. And I am starting Robbie Anderson and I'm not starting DJ Moore. Oh, so because of that, I think Robbie Anderson is the cash play here. But with that being said, I am not giving up on my love for DJ Moore. I do think he's going to be at a lower ownership than Robbie Anderson. 
this is a great matchup for DJ Moore. I think this could be the breakout week. So I think Moore is the better tournament play because of ownership. But just based on what we've seen this year, I don't think there's any need to get too fancy in cash. I think you just play Robbie Anderson, who has the better connection with Teddy Bridgewater. So I think it's a tournament cash thing here for me. But man, I hope it's DJ Moore going forward just because I'm all in on this guy. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I'm probably not playing either of them in cash because I like the options we're about to talk about a little more at their price points. But you guys have no idea how much it hurts for me to hear him say he's starting Robbie Anderson in that league just after hearing him talk about DJ Moore all offseason. But regardless, it's only four weeks into the season. DJ Moore has a lot of time to be productive. Somebody who has already been productive this year coming off injury is Jamison Crowder at 5,800. I liked Jamison Crowder. I put him on this list and then took him off once I remembered that Sam Darnold was not going to be quarterbacking for the Jets this week. I see that you have put him back on, so I'm going <laughs> to let you go ahead and talk That's about That's hilarious. I did not know that happened. But yeah, I was going through and I was like, Jamison Crowder needs to be on this list because the Cardinals are 19th in DVOA, so that's nothing to be scared of. And yeah, you mentioned it. Uh, it's going to be Joe Flacco this week playing quarterback, but that doesn't really scare me just because Jamison Crowder is a slot guy. It's not like he's this Will Fuller guy where you have to have an accurate quarterback hitting him on these 50-yard deep balls. Jamison Crowder is going to be catching these short passes. In the two games that he has played this year, he's had 13 targets and he's had 10 targets. The Jets will once again almost certainly be playing from behind here, trying to play catch-up with the Cardinals' high-powered offense. So I think it's going to be a lot of Jamison Crowder. I think he's super safe. And look, I mean – you could say Jamison Crowder, oh, he doesn't really have a high ceiling, but he's put up a lot of fantasy points, so it doesn't matter how you put up those points. If they get there, they get there, and I think Jamison Crowder is probably in for another big week, so I really like him this week at 5,800. Yeah, I, I, I don't hate Jamison Crowder. The reason why I took him off, and I probably shouldn't have took, taken him off. I should have left him there and just put this next guy after him the way that I did, but I like Deontay Johnson at 5,600 just so much more. Deontay Johnson, he's a little cheaper. He looked really good before his concussion. You want to talk about 13 targets, 10 targets? Deontay Johnson also had 13 and 10 targets in the two games that he played in full. So he just looks really good on the field from the eye test. Philadelphia is not a scary matchup. I trust Big Ben infinitely more than I trust Joe, Joe Flacco, and he's a little cheaper. So uh, I, I think Deontay Johnson is a very good cash, cash lineup type guy. He could definitely give you tournament upside. He's cheap enough to where if you slot him in, you could probably take one or two of the running backs that we talked about earlier. And yeah, I just, I really like Deontay Johnson this week. Yeah, I am with you on Deontay Johnson. I actually like him quite a bit more than this next guy you're about to talk about. But yeah, Deontay Johnson's super safe, it feels like. Ben Ben really likes him. The Eagles, you know, they don't have one good corner without Darius Slay playing. And, you know, they definitely don't have two good corners to deal with both Juju and Deontay Johnson. So, yeah, maybe Johnson goes overlooked. This game does have a lower total compared to some of the others. So hopefully he goes overlooked because I am in. And I definitely like him more than this next guy you're going to talk about just because of the floor. Yeah, I, w- I want to stress that this is a tournament play. Michael Gallup at 5,400. The DraftKings algorithm is very upset with him right now. That's why he's $5,400 because he hasn't done anything besides against uh, Seattle. But the Giants are going to have James Bradbury on Amari Cooper. James Bradbury is has been playing very well this year. And I think that while he's not going to neutralize Cooper, I think he will make Dak look to his other options a little bit more. And the Giants have nothing else in that entire secondary. So I think Gallup 
just like DJ Moore, Gallup is going to be productive this year. You're going to look up at the end of the year, he's going to have 900 receiving yards. And I think that this is one of those games that is just going to make his stats look better at the end of the year where you go, oh, yeah, I mean, of course he had 112 yards against the New York Giants. Why wouldn't he? Yeah, actually, you talked me into it a little bit. I think this is actually a really good way to make your Cowboys snack um, unique. <laughs> your Cowboys snack? No, your Cowboys stack. I, I was just going to act like I didn't say snack, even though I totally <laughs> did. But uh, the Cowboys stack, if you want to make it original, if you want to make it a little low-owned, play Michael Gallup instead of Amari Cooper, save the money, reduce the ownership, and then hope it's just the Michael Gallup week, which probably is still coming because I still do think this guy is a super talented receiver. Yeah, I mean, he was so good last year. It's just, I, I, I don't really give up on players in four weeks. I'm, I'm almost ready to give up on Kenyon Drake, but Gallup <laughs> already had one week in which, I mean, he put, he put up thirty points against Seattle. He, he already had one very successful week against a bad defense. So I, I'm certainly not ruling out that he can do it again. Ooh, speaking of guys that had one really successful week and then have disappointed from every week since then. <laughs> I love Darius Slayton this week who went off against the Steelers of all teams in week one and then has been terrible since then in a bunch of really bad matchups. The matchup is not terrible this week. It is actually fantastic. He is definitely the big play guy on this team with Sterling Shepard out. I think Daniel Jones is going to take a lot of shots down the field. I think those shots will be to Darius Slayton. I think he's a really good real life receiver. I think the Cowboys secondary is going to be lost yet again. There's no reason to believe that's going to change. There's a chance the Giants are playing from behind here and having to air it out. And, you know, if I'm playing Daniel Jones, I'm definitely stacking him with Slayton. And if I'm not playing Daniel Jones, I still really like Darius Slayton because then you don't have to worry about all the turnovers that Jones has forcing it to Slayton. You just have to, you know, reek in the money for when the balls actually do get to Slayton, not to the Cowboys um, defenders. So, yeah, I think Slayton's a really good play here. He's super cheap. He's probably going to go overlooked just because his game log is so bad. But I'm telling you, this guy is talented and a great matchup, and he's a deep threat, and he's probably going to hit one of the deep balls this week. Yeah, I, I don't hate it. My So I have two more guys to talk about, and they're both almost the same play. Uh, these, I think, are the highest floors you can find at this very low price tag. So let's say – you have your perfect cash lineup. You have $4,700 left instead of, I don't know, 5,600 for Deontay Johnson, which is fully within the realm of possibility with the running backs and wide receivers that we've given you earlier. And we said we wanted to pay up for quarterback. You know, money might be a little bit of a problem this week. Christian Kirk at 4,700. He's back to secure his second wideout spot for Arizona. And the Jets are just really very bad. So he's at a, he's in a great spot to at least just score a touchdown at 4,700 and, and get you into your cash into your, I'm sorry, get you into your, um, yeah, get you into the money. I don't know why I get you into the cash in your cash game. <laughs> there you go. And then my other one is going to be Zach Pascal at 4,600, sort of the same deal. Wide receiver two. Cleveland is just a very soft matchup against wide receivers this year. I think they're 26th. Uh, they typically give up a lot to the slot as well, and Pascal can move his way into the slot occasionally whenever T.Y. Hilton isn't moving his way into the slot. it's They have such a weird wide receiver do- dynamic over there, but 4,600 lets you do a lot of other things with your lineup, and you know the, the floors of both of these guys relative to the price, I think, is high enough to, to get you into the money as long as you are spending the rest of your money wisely. Yeah, I mean, I definitely – I'm with you on those two plays. They're pretty safe. I mean, full disclosure – I'm probably just going to play Slayton and try to win all the money, but that's just me. 
but uh yeah cash game wise those guys are pretty safe um Wow, I didn't realize, Ben. It is uh, it's one o'clock. It's one o one right now, so it is officially Saturday, which means it's officially Texas versus OU game day. So it's just important to mention it is one o one a.m. and uh, OU still sucks. Had to get that out it's, there. It's true. OU does suck and sucks at every moment of the day, including one o one a.m. on October tenth, twenty twenty. Yep. Uh, Hook'em horns. Texas is back. Uh, yeah. OU sucks. We're oh, going to win this God, game. No. We are going please to win God, this game, say- Ben. It's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, but don't say Texas is back. <laughs> yeah, but they will be because we're going to send OU to a three-game losing streak. It is the least hype Red River rivalry probably of all time because there's not going to be that many fans, and both these teams look pretty bad this year. But we have a chance to send Oklahoma to a three-game losing streak and do some serious damage to their recruiting. So I'm still fired up because it is Texas OU game day. Just had to get that out there before we move on to tight end. Yeah, that's nuts. And and moving on on to tight end, I was just going to completely ignore some of these high-priced tight ends this week, mainly because I never play them in my DraftKings slates. It's just not part of my strategy, but it seems like you sort of want to talk about some of them. So I'll let you go ahead and do that. Yeah, I'm usually with you. Uh, I don't know what it is, but we usually treat tight end kind of like we do catcher, which is we usually just punt it. I actually don't think that we probably shouldn't do that every single week because some of these tight ends are really, really good. And I think this could potentially be a week where you make just like a really balanced lineup and you have money left for a tight end. And I actually think some of these elite tight ends are actually in really good spots this week. And that is going to start at the very top with George Kittle. Look, he's 6,600, but I mean, the man put up 40 plus points last week, so you can't really argue with the price. I think he could do it again. He looks like a whole new man coming off injury and he's going up against the Dolphins. So we know it's a great matchup. He's got Jimmy G back, who we know Jimmy G does love George Kittle. So I actually think um, if you're making a bunch of tournament lineups this week, it would be a mistake just to completely overlook and fade George Kittle because I honestly think there's a chance he goes 40-burger again, if not you know, maybe just like 30 or 25. Yeah, it's hard to ever fade George Kittle because he's almost that entire offense besides whichever running back is getting the work that day. So I, I don't disagree by any means, but 6,600, I mean... That is a lot of money for a tight end. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of money for a tight end, but if you look at just like overall price, like maybe if you're playing a cheap tight end, you still have the flex spot. So like 6,600, that's the same price as Will Fuller. And, you know, we love Will Fuller this week, but like does how often does, you know, George Kittle get more raw points than Will Fuller? Like pretty often, right? Yeah, I, I would, I would imagine, I would, whoa, I would imagine so. Yes, I, I, you know what, you, you've convinced me. I probably would play him over Kareem Hunt. Yeah, I mean, just in general, I think maybe like if you're looking at the flex spot this week, we don't usually recommend playing two tight ends. But if you do go with like a cheap tight end, who we will mention some here in a second, I think you could definitely go George Kittle or Darren Waller as kind of a flex spot. Maybe get sneaky and roll out a double tight end lineup this week. Yeah, you like you like Waller this week? Yeah, I kind of do like Waller. Look, I mentioned it. I think the Chiefs are obviously going to get ahead in this game, and so the Raiders are going to be kind of forced into passing. And we know that when the Raiders are forced into passing, they throw it to the tight end, and that tight end is Darren Waller. So I think this could be just another vintage Waller, like 11 reception game. And, you know, he never he usually does not fall into the end zone, but if he does fall into the end zone, I think there's like 30-point upside. So... I don't hate him as a flex this week, and he might go overlooked just because he is a high-priced tight end. Yeah, I mean, my my tight end for the week is probably going to be Tyler Higby. 
the the freed Higby, the Higby that has finally been freed. He's 5,600. This is more of a matchup thing than anything. The Washington football team is dead last in tight end points allowed this season, and the Rams have obviously made a concerted effort to run these heavy sets with two tight ends and play through them. So I think Higby probably ends up being the best tight end value on the slate. George Kittle might outscore him, but I think two touchdowns is well within the realm of possibility. We saw him catch three against Philadelphia earlier this year, so I think it's it's something like that, that type of production for, for this week. Yeah, it's really funny how they've just like completely punted on guarding the tight end position because their overall defense is like pretty solid, uh, the football team. But yeah, I mean, they are bad versus the tight end, so I can't argue with that play. We know Higby already has the multi-touchdown upside, which he has shown us this year. Um, the next guy that me and you both like this week is going to be Evan Ingram at 4,600. Look, 4,600 is just really cheap for a guy that is probably like the focal point of this passing attack for the Giants. And we know the passing attack for the Giants has some super high upside this week. You can argue about the floor, but the upside is there. So if you're looking for a high upside receiver or even a cash point, a cash game guy who's going to lock in 10 fantasy points, uh, we both really like Evan Ingram to probably rack up a good amount of receptions this week. Yeah, I mean, listen, he only got you 10 fantasy points last week, which is probably a little disappointing, and everybody already benched him anyways, so it's it doesn't particularly matter. But he also had 10 targets, which is a lot for a tight end that's kind of ridiculous so they're clearly getting him involved in the offense again which is good because they need to and Dallas is also really bad against tight ends they're not quite as bad as Washington but they're up there and at 4600 I mean this is a premier talent in the league he could absolutely find the end zone and he could absolutely get 10 targets again so I just think it's great value and let's say you don't have the money for a tight end because you listened to us through the first half of this podcast and you immediately filled out your two high-priced running backs and two high-priced receivers, and then you got Deontay Johnson, and you're sitting there going, well, I can't really afford a tight end, which is fair because that might be one of the lineups I roll out today. Drew Sample and Logan Thomas are, once again, your best budget options, and they probably will continue to be. They're the cheapest guys with the best combination of target and receiving skills. Uh, they're also both against defenses that aren't that, like great against tight ends. They're they're 20th or, or worse. So if I had to pick one, I would say Drew Sample at 3,700. Just because I expect Joe Burrow maybe throwing sixty passes again, <laughs> and Sample caught seven of them last time Joe Burrow caught or th- last time Joe Burrow threw sixty of them, so I, I will say Aaron and I own Drew Sample in a one point five PPR tight end premium league. He's a lot more valuable in there because I think the catching volume will exceed the yardage volume, but still Drew Sample as a thirty seven hundred dollars sort of punt tight end I think is the way to go. Yeah, I'm back in on Drew Sample as the punt tight end just because, look, I do think I agree they're going to fall behind and they're going to have to throw the ball a bunch. And they're going to be throwing the ball a bunch, which means the Ravens are going to be bringing the pass rush. And, man, with that offensive line for the Bengals, Joe Burrow is not going to have time to get the ball down the field to his actual deep threats. And it could lead to a lot of dump-offs to Drew Sample, who, again, is playing an absurd amount of snaps. And uh, he's going to be on the field. He's going to get some targets. It's just whether he can turn those targets into catches and yards, which I think is a good option. He's going to be low owned if you have uh, if you need the savings at tight end, which I think is a good idea. Yeah, I mean it's really frustrating when because the teams blitz so much, sometimes they just leave him in to block for like entire drives because he is a, a great blocking tight end. So it's it's frustrating to watch sometimes, but when he is out there running routes, Joe Burrow really loves to find him, and at thirty seven hundred. 
the floor is certainly there. He should not kill you in a cash lineup. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I think I think it's a great tradition just to end our weekly recommendations every single week with Drew Sample as the low <laughs> price tight end. So with that, I'm ready to move on to bets, just keeping the tradition as is. Yeah, that's pretty good. I'll let you go ahead and start off the bets because you are doing better than me. Yep, I have. I have been. You know, even though I've had plenty of losers so far, I am up money on the year in our segment where we bet five hundred fake dollars each every single week and see how we do. And this week, my first bet and probably my favorite bet on the board is going to be the Carolina Panthers plus one at the Atlanta Falcons. This is currently minus one ten. Look, I love when narratives meet, and my two narratives here are I like fading the Falcons, and I just really like what I've seen out of the Panthers so far this year. Atlanta is 27th in DVOA. The Panthers are 19th in DVOA, so the Panthers are just straight up the better team here, which matches what we've seen from the eye test. And the Panthers are the team getting the point here. And look, I think Matt Rule has just been awesome turning around this team. I think Dan Quinn has been terrible not turning around the Falcons team. I think Vegas and just the general public out there values the Falcons too much just because they're sort of a fun fantasy football team. But as far as actual football goes, the Panthers are better than them. The home field is not that much of an advantage because it's in a dome with no crowd. The Falcons team has nothing to play for. There's no reason to believe Dan Quinn is suddenly going to inspire this team to go out there and win games. The Panthers are playing like an inspired team. Julio is banged up again. The Panthers are winning this football game, so I am betting $155 to win $141 on the Panthers plus one this week. Yeah, I had no idea which way that game was going to go. Had I have no idea which way that game is going to go. Oh, well, that's good. Now you do. <laughs> <laughs> Therefore, I, I completely stayed away, but I appreciate the confidence. My first bet is one that I am also very confident in, more, probably more confident than any bet I've put forward this year. I like the Raiders and Vi- I have a teaser on the Raiders and Vikings plus six points to make them. The Raiders are going to be plus 17 and a half and the Vikings are going to be plus 13 uh, Raiders playing the chiefs Vikings playing the Seahawks. I'm going to bet $200 on this to win 167. I think that the Raiders have looked fairly impressive all year and they're going to be motivated to keep pace within their division. 17 and a half points is like a, a lot of points. I mean, Kansas City can win by two touchdowns, and I'm still perfectly fine. The Vikings, I know that Aaron agrees with me on this as he's about to talk to you, but they are bad, but not that bad, and Seattle's defense is just so bad that they should be scoring on them, and 13 points, just like 17.5 points, is just a lot of points to give me on a on a six-point teaser. So this is my favorite bet. I would call it a can't-lose parlay, but that would be inaccurate. Yeah, um, I do like this bet. I do think it's a winner for you. I do think both of those are uh, really high numbers that should cover. I will say there is a chance this teaser is very stressful because you just teased against Patrick Mahomes and Russell Wilson, both at home. But yeah, with that being said, I do think it's a winner for you, and I do like both of those teams this week. So It's just so many points, man. I'm just looking at the numbers like... Yeah, no, I agree. I think that one gets you back on track. And you mentioned it. I also like the Vikings this week. My second bet is going to be the Vikings plus seven at the Seattle Seahawks Sunday night football. I am betting $115 to win 100. Look, I think the Vikings probably aren't as awful as everyone is making them out to be. Two of their losses were against the Packers and the Colts, who might just be like super elite teams this year. Their other loss was just a 
coin flip against the Titans that came down to the wire. The Seahawks D-line is 28th in adjusted sack rate, meaning they won't be able to take advantage of this terrible Minnesota offensive line. So Kirk Cousins should finally have some time to throw. And when Kirk Cousins has time to throw, I do like the matchup for Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen this week against a pretty bad Seahawks secondary, which is without Jamal Adams again. Dalvin Cook has been awesome this year. Look, we know primetime Kirk Cousins is not good, and we know primetime Russell Wilson at home is good, but there is still no fans, so I do think that is way less of a factor for both of those narratives. So give me the Vikings plus seven here at Seattle. I think Seattle probably wins this game on a last-second field goal, giving me the easy cover at plus seven, 115 to win 800. Yeah, I think the emergence of Justin Jefferson is pretty important to the Vikings. I think it, it adds a new element to the offense that they did not already have. So I, you know, I'm on the same side of you as you on that bet. So obviously I'm going to agree, but I do want to say I told you I told everybody I'd do it on the Tuesday pod. I still agree with my Tuesday self. I'm taking the Texans against the spread minus six at Jacksonville. I'm going to bet a hundred dollars to win ninety five dollars. The Texans are just the better team. Jacksonville kind of fooled everybody for the first two weeks of the year. I'm hearing a lot of other people also on the Texans side of the line today. I think that the team just comes out fired up after getting rid of Bill O'Brien. Deshaun is just given a lot more autonomy and he can improvise at the at the line of scrimmage, which is what he's best at. I think the game might be a little shootouty, but the Texans should definitely come away with a touchdown victory, if not more. So I'm I'm fairly confident in this bet and I've had four days to stew on it now and I still agree with my former self. <laughs> yeah, hopefully that's a winner for you. Um I can't say I agree with you on this one actually. I think I think the Texans are actually just really bad. And obviously the Jaguars are also really bad, but I think they're pretty similar teams, honestly. Um, Obviously one team has Deshaun Watson, which is nice, but I honestly think this line should just be like three and a half, maybe four. So I actually would be on the other side, but I'm not like taking the Jaguars or anything. But yeah, I can't say I agree with you, but hopefully you win. So we win money and the podcast looks smart. My next bet, trying to achieve that goal, is going to be a two-team Six-point teaser. I'm going to take the Arizona Cardinals from minus seven to minus one at the New York Jets, and I'm going to take the Pittsburgh Steelers down to minus one and a half versus the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm going to bet $120 to win 100. Look, the Cardinals are not losing this game to Joe Flacco and the Jets. I think the Cardinals have a legitimate shot, or no, I think the Jets have a legitimate shot at going 0-16 this year. This half of the bet is not losing. The Cardinals are beating the Jets this week. The other game, you, um, you know, you're not you're not going to believe me, but I, I cannot find Cardinals Jets on the Bavada. Yeah, yeah. So that's important to anyway. mention. Um, I when I took this one, I was looking at it um, a day ago. So the whole deal with this is the Cardinals had a false positive COVID test. So there was like rumors of this game being possibly moved, but. It came back on Twitter today that um, it was a false positive. The Cardinals were seven-point favorites all week. So, look, I fully expect Bavada to put the game back on the board tomorrow. The Cardinals are still going to be minus seven as they were before the game got taken down. So, yeah, that's my explanation there. Are you going to are you going to allow me to get away with this, you know, as long as they're back on the board? Oh, man, as long as they're back on the board, absolutely. If, if they're not back on the board, we're going to have to have a conversation. All right, we'll come up with something if they're not back on the board. But, yeah, by Sunday morning, the Cardinals are going to be on the board around minus seven. So that's my reasoning there. The other half of the bet is Steelers minus one and a half against Philly. 
Look, I just think this is a great matchup for what is now a really well-rested Steelers defense coming off the COVID bye week. They should be all up in Carson Wentz's business this week. Uh, Carson Wentz has no weapons yet again. The Steelers should be able to put up points here at home against a Philly team who, look, this Philly team is 30th, 30th overall in DVOA. They're one of the worst teams in the league, according to the numbers. I'm going to follow the numbers here and say the Steelers win this game at home. So, yeah, give me a nice little Cardinal Steelers teaser to win uh, 120 to win 100. Yeah, I, I definitely like this one as well. I think the only I, Cardinals Jets is is a lock. I am a little concerned that the Eagles can just flip a switch at some point this year, but I, I also completely understand following the numbers. I have no problem with any part of that bet. I have an actual can't lose parlay for you. Oh, fantastic not like the, news. Not like the fake can't lose parlays that, that I've been peddling. I got the Ravens minus 900, the Rams minus 370, and the Cowboys minus 440. I'm going to be betting $150 on this to win $112. I mean, these are all very heavy favorites. There's not a whole lot of analysis needed here. The Ravens should absolutely win against the Bengals. I already gave my reason for the Rams. Oh, no, I didn't because I took that that bet off, off the board. The reason I think that the Rams are going to win against Washington is because of the aggressive two tight end, just absolute air raid with Tyler Higby and, and Gerald Everett, which the football team apparently just doesn't know that the tight end position exists. I also think the football team won't be able to march the ball down the field since Jalen Ramsey will be on Terry McLaurin, therefore stopping their big play threat, not stopping, but at least severely hindering their, their one big play threat on that team. And at some point the Dallas Cowboys have got to stop fumbling the ball. And I think that this is the week against the New York giants. So all of these are heavy favorites. I like all three of these. I'm getting pretty decent odds on a three leg parlay. So I, I, I like my can't lose parlay this week. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned that the Cowboys literally have to stop fumbling the ball eventually in the same way that Ben, you literally have to win. They can't lose parlay eventually. So I think <laughs> this is sure, the week I'm for sure you. I won my, no, I won my can't lose parlay week one. Don't even. I know you did. I think you're going to win this one too. I like it. Um, my last bet here is going to be another teaser. This one is going to be a three-team teaser. It's going to be six points. And the first leg is going to be the Panthers again. I'm going to take the Panthers from plus one all the way up to plus seven. So they are now getting a full touchdown. I'm doubling down on the same analysis I already gave. The next leg is going to be the Bengals at the Ravens under 57. So the real total in this game is 51. I'm going to spike that up to 57 and say it goes under just because I think Joe Burrow is going to get a rude awakening from a Ravens defense that needs to go out and prove a point this week. Look, the Cincy offensive line versus the Baltimore defensive line is an absolute nightmare matchup. I don't think Cincinnati gets to 20 points here, and then I don't think the Ravens put up an absurd amount of points just because they're going to be ahead, grinding the clock, pounding the run game. So I think that easily goes under 57. And then the last leg of this is I'm going to bet that it goes over 48 in the Giants-Cowboys game. So this was 54. I'm taking it down to 48, and I'm going to say it goes over. I believe in Daniel Jones and the passing attack this week for the Giants. I think the Cowboys continue to throw the ball. I think they continue to throw it well with their great wide receivers. I think this game is 28 to 24 at the very least. So I think it's going over 48. Uh, I don't see any of those three bets losing. So I'm going to. It comes out to plus 150. So I'm going to bet $110 to win 165 on that little uh, three-leg teaser there. How do you like that one? 
Yeah, I like that one as well. I, you, you just really like teasers, man. Yeah, I think teasers are maybe a little more efficient than parlays if you have just bets that you really, really like. Yeah, I, I, I can appreciate it. Well, you're probably not gonna like this next bet from me then, because it is a parlay. This is gonna be a. This is a parlay. It's just a two leg parlay. Both of these are pretty much even money, so I'm spiking my odds way up. Um, these are things that I. I believe are going to happen this week. And that's why I'm doing it. This is also sort of my long shot for the week. I'm going to try and incorporate more of them. Uh, we do a lot of bets that are even money or less. And, and I want to start, you know, sh- shooting up a little bit, especially cause now I got to dig myself out of a little bit of a hole that I've created, but this is going to be the Browns money line at minus one Oh five against the Colts. And I'm going to parlay that with under 51 from the Bengals Ravens game. I a hundred percent agree with Aaron on the under for that game. The Bengals are going to get nothing going and the Ravens running game makes it so that they're going to take a while to get down the field. The, the one that I'm really concerned about with this bet or the only one that I'm really concerned about with this bet is the Browns money line. But I mean, the Browns don't have Nick Chubb. That's the bit. That's the big thing. I still think Kareem hunt and, and Johnson can be freed, and Kevin Stefanski has really impressed me so far. The Colts just don't have any explosiveness on offense anymore with all the injuries that they've had. It's going to be T.Y. Hilton and Zach Pascal and the running backs, and that's it. And it's just I, I expect that the Browns, with what looks to be adequate coaching for the first time, are able to pull, to pull it out, and I get to cash a pretty big win on both legs of this parlay i only had 50 dollars left over to bet so that's what i'm betting and it's gonna pay out 132 dollars yeah i'm glad you had a take on this browns colts game because i was going back and forth all week i started the week liking the colts and then i was like nah. and then i started to like the browns a little bit and then i was like nah, i don't know about that either so <laughs> i'm glad you have an opinion because i did not know where to go on that one uh hopefully vegas, that vegas one- doesn't know either so you're not alone. They're, yeah. The lines are almost the exact same. Yeah, I mean, it's a toss-up, and it definitely seems like it deserves to be a toss-up. But, yeah, I think the Browns could pull one out there. I think they might actually be decent this year. Oh, man, those yeah. sound like a lot of winners, Ben. It, 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 they always sound like winners on, on Friday. Actually, this is Saturday morning now at this point. Jeez, we should probably we should probably wrap it up. And so with that, I'm just going to say you know, thank you for listening. Make sure that you uh, reach out and interact with us on Twitter. We're going to try and do a, a much better job of being more active on there. It's going to be at Cash Landing Pod on Twitter. Uh, if you're listening on iTunes, feel free to give us a five-star review and, and leave a rating. That would be – or a five-star rating and leave a review. Excuse me. That would be much appreciated. If you're on Spotify, we certainly appreciate your viewership. If you want to show this to any friends or family or any other degenerates in your life that are just like us, that would be – that would also be much appreciated. So uh, with that, that's pretty much all I got. Aaron, you got anything else? Uh, yeah, it's one twenty four a.m. Oklahoma still sucks. And uh, good luck with all your lineups and gambling this weekend. All right, we'll see you next time.